welcome to the second podcast in the DNO DSO journey series. Uh, I am Dr. David Butcher. I'm a program manager in IT transformation, uh, working and specialising in works with DNOs as part of the building blocks to their DSO journey. Today, I'm once again joined by Mike Wilkes. Uh, welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining me. Uh, could you quickly introduce yourself to the audience, please? Certainly, David. Um, I'm Mike Wilkes. I'm Vice President in Utilities at Capgemini, and I lead all our activities on UK Energy Network. Thank you, Mike. So in the first podcast, uh, we talked about the drivers for change towards the DSO model and how we saw the overall uh, UK power industry changing and how the DNOs at a high level would have to adapt. In today's podcast, we'll dive deeper into the DNO DSO journey and discuss um, how the uh, DSO of the future will look like in terms of the services that they will need to provide and how they will create value for the new model that they operate within. So, uh, Mike, let's um, open by discussing the future services that DSO will need to provide. And I think top of the list is going to be the area of market facilitation. My view on this is that the DSO of the future will be the organization which provides provides the, the platform for other players in the new market to uh, to interact and purchase and sell uh, power. So uh, people of the prosumer, private consumer today, who uh, will end up producing more energy potentially than they use, uh, the generator, the storage company, the aggregator, um, and the, the EV infrastructure operator. What are your views on the platforms and how those will operate? For me, I think this is one of the big questions um, in the market at the moment, um, being asked by a number of different actors across the sector, not just those that are uh, currently active, but those that are looking to move into the sector with an eye on the transformation that's underway across utilities. I agree that the DNOs of today have a fundamental role in facilitating the markets of the future. The interesting debate is whether there'll be regional market facilitators or sub-facilitators to some overarching national market platform. One of the big challenges, I don't think you go to that last step in one go. So the natural evolution has to be for me to move to a an ability to, to manage your market within the boundaries of your existing network. And in particular, to manage and facilitate a whole range of small scale actors at the edge of your system and possibly beyond the edge of your system. Yes, I would agree. And, and I think one of the key questions which the DSO of the future will have to answer is with all of these players um, coming to the new market within their areas, it's how they maintain the, the market facilitator role, but also maintain uh, neutrality across that. But uh, I, I would agree that two-step look at the uh, the market facilitation role is, is going to be a key one. I think me as well, a, a future service, and, and it, it's something that to an increasing extent becoming part of the way we have the world today is around demand balancing. Um, so it, there'll, there'll be a number of areas where the DSO of the future is going to need to uh, understand um, how better to, to balance demand and supply across their network. Um, and I think there's, there's going to be key questions around whether that is in area, across area or national, and uh, whether there's interconnection between DSOs, which is going to be an interesting area to explore how that operates in a, in a more fragmented power supply world. Um, 
I think it's, it's interesting to uh, to understand how the the interaction there will will be with uh, uh, with with National Grid and uh, and the UK um, as a whole. Yeah, I think I think actually for me this is one of the drivers um, of a need for some form of market facilitation because when you think about balancing of demands and and indeed flexing of demands to make sure security supply is maintained on on the the network system, um, you've got already three fundamental different points of view as to what they want to do with the demand. So obviously from a national perspective, National Grid has the responsibility to make sure that the lights stay on in the UK Um, but the shape of demand that they're managing look very different from the shape of demand that you see at a local level depending on the mix of that demand whether it be domestic commercial or industrial and uh, therefore the needs of the local networks and the desire to use demand to help manage those local networks can actually have a different ask or a different objective from that of the national picture And then if you layer on top of that, the suppliers who are looking at demand from a price curve perspective rather than a physical megawatt perspective, particularly in a renewable driven system where high demand doesn't necessarily mean high prices, um, you've got three different actors with three different viewpoints as to what they might want to do with demand from a balancing point of view and, and it's that complexity which is getting ever more uh, significant which drives for me that that requirement for market facilitation and i think there's an interesting point you you touched upon there in terms of the the different profiles uh, coming across different areas and i think we are we're already starting to see that with with different uh, uptakes of types of uh, generation across the country so uh, predominantly uh, the, the the uptake of uh, photovoltaic in some areas of the country and wind power in others and uh, the patchy uptake of uh, electric vehicles uh, in certain areas so uh, heavily metropolitan areas and wealthy areas tend to uh, gravitate towards the electric vehicle um, and also a lot quicker than the, the more rural areas for obvious reasons of, of charging and, and other such things. So that uh, that demand balancing becomes a tricky act the, the, the broader that you look at it. So uh, so that will, that's going to be an interesting challenge. And I think a lot of the, the vehicle to grid technology that, that's springing up is, is going to uh, uh, increase the complexity in that mix. And again, that won't be a, a uniform thing across the country. So uh, much complexity to come in, in, in that service. And it'll be uh, interesting to un- understand how um, how the, the DSO makes that uh, complexity pay in the future. Well, I think, um, I mean, it's that diversity uh, which is driving, I think, the step-by-step approach towards what a future uh, DSO landscape might look like. Because, I mean, you're right to point out the a large majority of domestic solar has been deployed in the southwest of the UK. And, and that actually presents some very major voltage challenges all the way up onto the national system, um, which needs to be managed in a very different way at a different point in time during the day than in central London where you've got that concentration of electric vehicles and charging infrastructure which by uh, default people will naturally gravitate to a certain time of day to 
to to use so again needs a different approach because it's a different problem that they're trying to solve and as, as you move forward these problems will begin to come together to form a, a tapestry of balancing challenges that the dnos and the dsos of the future will need to address um, but at the moment what you see is different dnos are facing different challenges um, driven by whether it's solar whether it's by electric vehicles or whether it might be driven by other developments around um, microgrids and, and distributed generation. So it's, it's an evolution, but different DNOs are coming from different directions as part of that evolution. Yes, and it, it puts an interesting question on the regulatory framework in terms of the, the, the services and the, the access to balancing uh, levers that the DNOs have. As, of course, it's, it's well known that they, uh, they're they currently um, unable to, to own storage. Um, however, uh, this may need to be something that, that is, is brought into the mix as the DSO evolves. I think storage is key, um, and it, it could be the thing that drives ultimately a split between DSO and DNO, um, because storage is not the only solution, but it's certainly a very important solution. But at the point where you are using it as your asset solution of choice, it does have implications for other potential service providers, such as demand-side uh, services, as we've talked about earlier. Um, and indeed, if you if you lift up to a national level, one of the drivers of legal separation of, of national grids uh, electricity system operator and transmission owner business has been to enable uh, the system operator to take a more facilitating role in the market um, with a clear uh, air gap um, between them and their asset business to give confidence to the market and to other actors outside of National Grid's asset business, they will take the best decision based on the best solution, whether it be an asset solution, a service solution, whether it be from within National Grid's portfolio or from within other business portfolios and indeed from new actors coming into the market. Um, and I can see you know, going as we get more and more into a dynamic energy system at a local level, some of those, the, some of those conversations that are happening now at a national level about the separation between system operation and asset ownership could could become increasingly interesting um, at a local distribution level. But I think that's probably some way off. Um, and in the meantime, uh, DNOs um, certainly have that critical role of, of making sure they use a range of different service providers um, working within the regulatory constraints. And I don't see Ofgem at the moment moving quickly to, uh, or, or even moving at all towards allowing distribution networks to own storage assets so therefore they've got to start thinking about these future services and future service models to allow them to maintain security of, and uh, quality of supply. Moving our, our attention to the DSO of the future and how it creates value for itself and, it, and its shareholders because uh, all organizations um, have, to have, to have to act as a going concern. Um, I think there was a couple of interesting areas that come out from from this new world, and and we touched earlier upon uh, the neutral market facilitator role and the provision of a of a platform. Um, I think one interesting area where the DSO of the future might be um, able to sell a service is is part is uh, say capacity auction areas. So if you have prosumers. Um, 
aggregators and, and microgrid owners and storage and generation and other areas wanting to uh, to trade their wares uh, on a neutral platform. The capacity auction um, facilitated by the by the DSO could be a a useful way that they 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 sell value add service into the industry. Uh, I, I think and I think that that's an, an interesting area for DSOs to explore in the future. Do, do you have any uh, views on on that, Mike? It's certainly something that could develop. I, I think. Um... When you look at the evolution of the energy system over the last 10, 20 years, I mean, it started as a very straightforward energy transport system. And over that time, it's increasingly become about maintaining security of supply under all conditions and less about moving energy from one end of the country to another or from one end of a distribution network to the household. So I think in an energy system which is worried more about megawatts at the right time than megawatt hours moving from left to right or right to left, the role of capacity for those situations which don't happen very often, but when they do, you need to be able to uh, meet the demands they place on your network and on the on the um, energy system become fundamental because that's the only way that you provide the commercial signals for capacity of capability and flexibility that you might not need very often but precisely when you do need them is the very time that it's most important that it's available so um, we've seen that to some degree again in the national system um, with the capacity auctions that were introduced a few years ago at a, at a major scale scale level um, as the commercial model for, for existing coal power stations and gas power stations began to shift from uh, transport to the value of generation when it was required at times of stress. Interesting. And I think um, I think this moves us into, into the, the question of how does the DSO of the future um, charge the prosumer uh, and today's consumer in, in the future? It's, it's interesting that you say charge prosumer because that's indicative, I think, of the traditional mindset of the utility sector. I think going forward, when we talk about the commercial mechanisms for prosumers and others, actually, it's going to be a combination of charging and paying. There'll be times when we will want to be paying prosumers for services they provide within the overall context of the energy system. And there'll be other times when we will want to charge them for the impact that they're having on the energy system. And I don't think we'll ever get away from the fact that everybody needs to contribute um, to the uh, retention of the relevant network assets that are needed, as I've talked about just now, at times of stress to make sure that the lights stay on for everybody, whatever the situation and whatever the circumstances in in an ever more complex, volatile and uh, climatically uh, interesting uh, world. But for me, that's a fundamental mindset shift. That's a fundamental driver of, of a DNO moving to a DSO when they start thinking about paying prosumers as much as they're thinking about charging prosumers and recognizing that prosumers can be a service provider, not a service taker. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I think that's the, it, yeah. It certainly becomes a a two way relationship, as as do I think many of the contractual relationships which the future DSO will have to enter into. And I, I think that's it's an interesting angle and one that DSOs will have to consider as they uh, as they create value for themselves is 
how do we contractually interact with uh, with all these new and existing players for the different services that they will provide and demand as uh, as the market moves so uh, yeah and we can't forget social responsibility either in the, uh, the there's been a debate for a number of years now about um, as the economists will call it marginal cost based pricing within duos in other words my neighbor might pay less than me for distribution charges simply because of where they are and on the system and, and the perceived impact they have on the system but the reality is energy is a, a critical service to the population of the country and there's only so far you can go with some of the more hypothetical and academic approaches to uh, cost allocation and charging at a granular level so i i'm not i'm not a personal believer in uh, you know marginal cost based pricing down to the household but i am certainly a believer in um, providing uh, all households with an ability to be rewarded for services they provide to the system um, in a way that, that recognizes the value they can add as well as the, um, the um, service that they take from that system. Yes, and I think the the social angle again is one that's that's going to be debated uh, more and more as we move through the DSO journey. One of the things that's been postulated is that uh, the wealthier elements of uh, of society will be able to start to, to generate more and more of their own power as, as time goes on and and, and sell back or, or go off grid for large periods, which would leave those that can't afford to invest in uh, in in their own generation uh, paying for and supporting a uh, a grid with with uh, increasingly fewer people. People attached to it, so so there's a, a, an exam question about how how um, power is being a, a necessity for for life is is provided to uh, to uh, to all people while still maintaining a market that the the DSOs can operate in. So uh, a key point of debate there, I think. But bring, coming back to your point on, around where's the value, um, what's the value creation opportunity, um, we, we can't forget the role of data uh, in this. For me, data is a fundamental aspect of future value creation, whether it's coming from smart metering data, whether it's coming from sensor data, whether it's coming from other sources. I think this will be a, an absolute foundation of DSOs of the future is their ability to capture, analyze, and act upon data in a very sophisticated and and quick way to operate platforms and systems. You can't run a market facilitation platform unless you know how to manage large volumes of data in real time. And so I think data is one of the big themes for future value creation. And that flows through into understanding what's happening on your system and being able to utilize that to manage your asset bases more efficiently, to develop your operations more effectively, to understand your customers. Um, and I do believe that you know distribution networks of the future will have a very strong customer relationship it's unavoidable um, i don't believe that only suppliers hold the relationship with domestic customers in a world where you have prosumers um, so i think here this is where the role of technology is going to come into play because you're going to need those digital technologies those analytics those ways of managing data um, and embedding it into your business model um, to exploit the value you can you can get from that um, data becomes information becomes gold fundamentally um, and that will be the key future dso's i think if, if people want to uh, examine more of those key points and particularly how uh, data and contractual and business relationships stitch together um, if they review uh, our paper, uh, The Distribution System Operator Journey, Challenges and Opportunities in the UK Energy Industry, it sets out uh, a view of the end-to-end -end value chain which touches upon all of these points and, uh, and expands how they link together. 
Okay, so um, a lot of good points debated there. I think we'd like to bring this session to a close now. And thank you for sharing your thoughts, Mike. Uh, we'd love to hear from uh, you, the listener, on this topic as well. And you can connect with Mike and myself uh, through social media. So you can reach me on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm there as uh, Dr. David Butcher. Or you can contact me on Twitter at, at Dr. David Butcher. Uh, Mike, would you like to provide the listeners with your contact details? Yes, the easiest way to get to me is through LinkedIn. Keep it simple. Um, and uh, I'm always uh, interested in discussions about this. It's something that I'm passionate about and have been engaged in now for the last 10 years. And it's it's interesting in many respects to see some of the things that we were talking about as theoretical as, as recently as five to 10 years ago now becoming commercial reality and, and driving some fundamental change in the sector as we just discussed. Okay, thank you. And as a final reminder to our listeners, you can subscribe to our Capgemini podcast uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio and all major podcast apps. And uh, thank you all for listening and we'll be back in the next podcast in the series soon.